This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we'll hear from Francis Ngannou, who spoke to Submission Radio, about getting tested for the coronavirus by UFC and whether he'll fight at UFC 249. We'll dip into the mailbag as well. Plus, we'll talk to Eric Ducker from The Ringer about how Hollywood is dealing with the coronavirus. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 3 p.m. on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Uh, I want to start the show with what I consider good news. Actually, I don't know how you couldn't consider it good news. Now, I have been all over the UFC's ass about going through UFC Brasilia and not doing any COVID-19 testing, which I thought was incredibly irresponsible, but they did it anyway. They were going to go through with UFC London with, with to my knowledge, none there. Um, but they had then canceled or postponed whatever UFC London, UFC Portland, UFC Columbus. The next one they plan to do, as you know, is, for now, UFC 249. We don't know where. There were some reports from Stephen Morocco that said that they that, that the UFC was looking at Florida for a potential situation there. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I still love the belief that by the time April 18th rolls around, this is not going to happen, but we'll see. Now, be that as it may, I want folks to understand something. I consider COVID-19 testing um, to be a necessary condition of doing shows, not necessarily a sufficient condition of doing shows. What does that mean? Not doing them means you cannot do the show at all. But just because you do them doesn't mean you are now ready to rock. However, if you're testing your athletes, I would consider that a step in the right direction. So... For as critical as I have been of the UFC, I will acknowledge, such as there is evidence, of them, I would say, not necessarily, quote-unquote, doing the right thing, although it is that. I just want to set this up, I think, more specifically. This is a step in the right direction. There is lots more that has to happen, and we'll talk about that. But what do I mean by all of this? Well, Francis Ngannou spoke to our boys um, from Submission Radio, Dennis and Casper, down there in Australia. And, of course, he was supposed to be one of the headlining acts for, I think, if memory serves, not UFC London, maybe UFC Columbus, I think that's right. He was supposed to fight Jairzinho Rosenstruck. And he's a, he's a native of Las Vegas, which I think will matter. But he told them, and I've got the audio here, I'm going to play it. He told them he actually was tested for the coronavirus by the UFC. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Uh, uh, first, he's going to say, um, is there a chance he might fight at UFC 249? Because remember, they have to rebook everybody. Here's what he says. Uh, there's a chance that I can be fighting in that card. But, um, you know, uh, they have to they have to settle everything down, you know. Like, for now, it seems like they have a location. But uh, they still have to double check and see how they're going to... Uh, handle this event safely for people because uh, first of all it's not just about they are not just expecting to go put people there fighting they're also like uh, trying to make things um, to figure to care about um, our health you know yeah. so 
uh, I got tested. They got me tested from the uh, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess they tested uh, others virus, so, so which is kind of like a positive thing and like make you feel a little bit safe to get uh, to get uh, close or along with those people. Mm. When when did they? T- okay, so here's what he's saying. He's saying the UFC tested him for COVID nineteen. I got some thoughts on this, but let me hear the full details of it. Let me share it with you so that we can all be on the same page. Uh, we said a week ago. Was it the UFC or was it uh, just like you went to the doctors? No, it was the UFC. Oh, wow. Okay, well, it's good that they're actually I mean, testing for... I mean, he, he, he was the doctor, but through the UFC. Yeah, well, that's good because originally they weren't testing fighters, so it's good to see that they are now. How would you feel if you were fighting a UFC 249? Would that be a good thing for you? Would you be... Critical question. You know, concerned? Uh, no. I mean, I won't be concerned because once again, okay, um, I don't want to... Say the COVID nineteen is nothing. I don't want to say it's not bad, but technically, I think it's just. I think it's a flu that we have all the time. This is incredibly disappointing to hear, but I don't think it's otherwise not representative of how a lot of people think. We're almost done here, and then I want to react. The only problem with it is that it's contagious and it can uh, spread uh, very fast. And uh, That's yes. True. But no, I won't be concerned about it. Okay, he's going to share a story here. This is the last piece of audio about meeting a friend in the cancer ward and what that told him about COVID-19. Because even after the test, I wasn't very worried. I'm like, okay, how, whatever is it, it's going to be okay. It's not like bad. Because the, I think the thing right now is just the panic. So this thing has uh, caused more panic than the, um, than the real uh, pain himself. You know, like we are just panic. We are panicking. Like sometimes you think about it and then I've, you're going to see. I mean, I saw people that ha- uh, has... Uh, Cancer. I, w- I went to the hospital uh, last week to see some friend of my friend who was to the, at the hospital for the chemo, and he was there about to have a chemo. He was scared about the uh, coronavirus. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because if he gets it, it compromises his immune system, he or she, and they could die even more easily while on chemotherapy, which, by the way, also compromises your immune system. How do I know this? My sister had breast cancer. And I saw her have to go through some of the same concerns about what happens if I get the flu, the ordinary flu, going through chemotherapy. That's why. So here's what I took from this. I have actually have three major takeaways from this that I want to share with you. I'll share you the first right now, which is I actually feel like Francis's opinion on this is what I would consider to be the mainstream MMA opinion on this, which is Francis is not a bad guy. Um, he was lucky to get some testing. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it looks like if someone asked him to practice social distancing, he's not going to be willfully disregarding it, but that he generally thinks this is all overblown. He generally believes that this will all pass soon. So he's happy to do his part for the time being, 
but he's looking to, it sounds like, get back to business. Now, in part, as we've previously discussed, he's motivated to make some money, given that if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid, like a lot of Americans, I suppose, and or certainly, um, I'm not sure if he's an American citizen, but a resident of this country for the time being. Uh, he might be a citizen, I'm not sure. People living here. So, in that sense... Um, I think a lot of people inside MMA hold that opinion. They're not like, oh my God, this is a giant hoax by the Chinese communist government. There's nothing to it. They're like, you know what? It's probably real. Um, I think there's I think there's a lot of science denialism about what this is going to do, about the pain we are preventing versus the pain we've experienced. And of course, as we've discussed previously, in every cohort, it is much more deadly than the flu or even H1N1. But I think what he is saying is representative of what a lot of people think. I've actually did some discussions with some managers and some commissioners and some other people on the phone yesterday, and I heard a lot of the same opinion. How much of that is motivated by everyone wanting to get back to work? You be the judge. Probably some. I I suspect not entirely. But the MMA world, I've been banging my head against the wall trying to understand how can we not take this seriously. And I think in some ways they do but not the ways that I would necessarily expect in accordance with what epidemiologists and public health officials are recommending. Now, I mentioned I had three takeaways. One of them is the one I just mentioned. What are the other two? Here is basically the first one. Number one, while I get that Francis is trying to be a good person and everyone who holds that opinion is trying to be a good person, it is scientifically it's illiterate. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Um, not like dramatically so, but kind of. Which is to say, people are like, well, it's kind of like the flu. In no way is it like the flu. In every single co- cohort, it is often 10 times as deadly. That is what every health expert is saying, and the results vary somewhat country to country. You might get worse health outcomes in Iran relative to Italy, uh, relative to South Korea, and there could be slight differentiations in there. But in general, it is significantly more deadly than the flu, which is why world governments are enacting what what we can only describe as things we've never seen in any of our lifetimes. It's not an accident. It's a real thing. The numbers prove it, and the actions by the governments are a response to that. Not the flu, much worse. Okay, Which doesn't mean if you get it, it's a death sentence. It just means relative to the flu, um, there are greater risks associated with it in in general. That's the first thing I'd say is not in keeping with that. I think the second thing I'd say is we have this real look at things where it's like, oh, look at the pain we're causing rather than having a broader picture of the pain we're preventing. And here is my sense of things. I have actually had some friends I spoke to. I would call them center-right, which may or may not be relevant to you, but you know we don't necessarily all read the same news sources. And they too, were, these are smart, typically evidence-based people. These are people who, you know, you ask them to practice social distancing, they're doing it. Um, They also recognize it's a little bit worse than the flu, but there's a lot of unknowns. But here's what the common denominator was between my friends and what you hear a lot in MMA from fighters, from regulators, from coaches. You hear a lot of this language about, hey, I'll do what you ask of me, but I kind of don't believe it's as bad as people say it is. Which is, I think, rooted in more than just not really being fully up to date on what the... um, Numbers show, but one, I've said this yesterday on the show, dude, this coronavirus is only getting started, only getting started. You have to believe that the peak will happen either before or uh, Easter um, to believe that we're kind of sort of through this already. We're not at all through this. 
we are at the very beginning stages of the spread. Now, some places are going to have the spread quicker and faster and worse than others. It will be uneven. But to me, it's just not keeping in tune with what the spread of the virus is and what it will look like. And the second part is the is that, namely, until these people basically get hit with some kind of catastrophe in their lives, which I don't hope ever happens, or until they see enough people in society uh, die or get sick or have changes such that their skepticism becomes changed by virtue of, again, not really catastrophe to them personally, but around them, they're not going to change their opinion. And I think that's where the UFC is. Like, I appreciate the UFC testing uh, Francis, and, and he says many others, so we'll see what the actual numbers are, but um, that's a great first step. Like, let's see how healthy our guys are. Let's see if anyone's spreading it. You know, even if it has nothing to do with a fight that's coming up, at least you know if someone tested positive, maybe you could trace it. You could have that person quarantined. Like, there's a lot of value to all of that. I, I take that seriously. I really appreciate that from them. I think that's fine. But I just feel like inside MMA, we're at a situation where there's a lot of good-intentioned people that aren't going to believe we're in a situation that's dire until it absolutely gets right to their doorstep. And I suspect that that is coming, but it's going to take some time to get there, and we're currently living in that lag time. That's my second overall conclusion. My third overall conclusion is about the testing itself in the UFC. I'm going to say it one more time. I commend them for it. Now, there's a question about whether or not they should have been tested depending on the availability of tests, and if there's a shortage of tests, shouldn't they go to people who are much more dire situations? Um, that is a real thing. I don't know how true that is in Nevada, so I'm not really capable of making that argument. In fact, I can look up, you know, right now, I can look up uh, on COVID tracking what the situation is over there. We can actually look at this state by state. So let's do that. Let me go to Nevada as we speak right now. I can give you a real-time data. Here's Nevada. They've had 278 cases of positive, about 4,000 negative. We don't have any numbers on pending. We don't have any numbers on hospitalization. We have four deaths overall. So um, they And they grade the data quality as, as an A. Some places are it's a B or a C. So not necessarily one of the worst states. In fact, um, sort of not one of the better ones, but you know, you places like New Mexico have 100, New Jersey seven, or excuse me, 4,000. Uh, actually, New Jersey's had 4,000 positive, uh, much more. So a total of about 4,000 overall people involved. Anyway, the only reason I bring this up is uh, I, don't, I don't know how fair of an argument that is. And so because I don't, I don't really feel comfortable making it at this juncture. If we find out more information, we may go there. But for now, I don't, I, 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 look, leave it alone. Um, so we can talk about the positives of what the UFC did, but if they are testing people, uh, you know, and I know Dana just doesn't believe that he owes a great degree of public transparency, especially through the media, which, you know, is a whole other issue, but I guess I'd have a few questions about it, namely, who else got tested? How many tests do you have? Did anyone test positive? If so, should people inside MMA know it? There's an argument that maybe they shouldn't, right? It's not, it's not a dramatic yes. It's just a question. Uh, and what's the plan going forward? Because I mentioned something at the top of the show about the testing. Look, any testing is good testing, right? In general, unless there's a real critical shortage, any testing is good testing. I think we can all agree with that. I'm not upset about the testing. Rather, here's my concern. My concern are that people are going to see this and say, okay, well, now that we have COVID-19 testing, let's just roll this thing out with Tony and Khabib. And the situation is just much more complicated than that. 
right? First of all, let's see where we are on April 18th and how bad things are three weeks from now. A little, Actually, almost four. Three weeks and some change, I suppose. Let's see how things look at that point as this virus begins to spread, number one. Number two, what I would say is even if you have testing, you have to have things along with the testing that makes it work. You can't have the kind of test that, you know, you get results two days later. You need the kind where you get results four hours later. And if someone actually does have it, they have to be separated. And everyone they came into contact with, there needs to be medical protocol in place to handle that. Because if you just do testing, what happens if you get a positive, you know, halfway into fight week? What, what do you do then? Everyone's been around each other. There won't be any media days or necessarily, I don't think, or, um, you know, open workouts. Okay, fine. They have been around other coaches and trainers. Maybe they've been around other food service folks. Like, what what is the protocol at that point? Do they get pulled from the card? They must. But um, where do they go? Do they get sent home? Because now they're just going to give everyone that when they get sent home. Realize people might be flying there. So if if you test them on Tuesday, that's fine. Uh, What if they come into contact with somebody on Friday? How many tests are you doing? Again, what is the triage policy in the event that they actually test positive? So this is why I bring this up. I've been hammering, what about the test, what about the test, what about the test, what about the tests? And if they're doing testing, as I said before, any testing is good testing. Any testing is good testing. My concern is not that. My concern is that people think, because I've been saying, where's the testing now that we have it, or on some level anyway, that this is all going to be over with. No. The virus will spread between now and that date. Travel will become either more difficult, if not impossible, will certainly perilous, depending on how things go with the federal government and everything else. Certainly as the virus spreads, it'll become more perilous. What happens if someone gets tested on a Tuesday and then there's no more tests the rest of the week? Is that sufficient? That's some kind of a screen. I don't know how good of one that is. And then also, if you're the UFC, what about the liability if something ends up happening where they do actually contract this while they're there with you? right? So if they're there with you five days, and they get and they show symptoms two days after the fight, that means they had to have gotten it potentially within that time, um, especially if they've been you know at home the whole time. And if there's other forms of an outbreak, like are those risks you really want to take, especially as travel becomes more difficult either through restriction or the spread of the virus. So I appreciate that they, they did testing. I really do. I just don't understand where all this is headed. COVID-19 screening helps you some. In fact, it helps you a lot. But you need a lot more help than just what it offers to put yourself in a position to be all cylinders, you know, all engines firing. Just remember what Dana said. After this whole thing, the plan is they just want to get back out there and get back to work. They want to get the, they want to get the show on the road, do weekday cards. And again... Am I an epidemiologist? I'm a dumbass MMA radio host. I'm nothing. But I've been reading what all epidemiologists are saying. I've been listening to what they're saying. They're telling us we're not even going to be at the belly of the beast by April 18th. So where does that leave us? I just want to make sure everyone is locked on to where the right things are. So UFC's done some testing, it sounds like. That's great. But what is the plan beyond just the testing itself? Because that alone doesn't solve the problem. And in fact, staging the show really is the problem. 
If you don't know Sirius XM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy Sirius XM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of Sirius XM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. And we're back. Luke Thomas Show. Appreciate everybody tuning in. All right, we do it every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, we do the TLTS Midweek Mailbag. We did half of it earlier Let's reconvene if we can. Best place to get those emails in, and really the only place, Show at gmail.com. And by the way, if you want to send a voice clip to air throughout the course of the week, you can do that too. Just record yourself and we'll play it, all right? Uh, all right, cop, let's finish this up here if we can. What else we got here in the old bag of tricks? Uh, this comes from Randy from Delaware who says, uh, hey, Luke. Uh, when did you, what got you started in MMA and when did you know you would spend your life covering it? I'm not sure I ever knew. Um, so I'm not sure I still know that right now. You know, who's to say I won't get blackballed after all the criticism I've done of the UFC, you know, we'll see. But, um, how did I get started? Uh, let's see, my parents were divorced and I would live with my father in Washington DC in the summers after they split and I would have nothing to do. And so... A lot of times he would just drop me off at Blockbuster and be like, go get something. And, um, you know, I was always into kung fu movies and that kind of a thing. You know, ninjutsu, the whole nine yards. We had a family friend who was a uh, martial artist who had a school. He, he trained in something called Tukong, which is a uh, Korean special forces kind of martial art, as I understand it. I mean, who knows what these things are. But he was right. He's like, you got to see this Brazilian guy beating up all these other dudes. Now, at that point, that was not UFC 1, 2, or even 3. That was UFC 4. So I watched UFC 4 and then went back and watched the other ones. And that had sort of kept up an interest. Faded a little bit over time while I was in college, but then picked back up in the Marines, which overlapped with college, but let's say later year college. And uh, and then the Marine Corps did the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. And I trained in that, and that was great. Then the Ultimate Fighter came around, and I was really kind of in, about right, hugely back into it. Um, a little bit before that point, but then especially by that point. And then I moved to D.C. and uh, in 2004, Four. That's right. So just before the Ultimate Fighter, and uh, I was looking for something to do, and uh, there was a MMA gym not far from the house where I was training or living. So I went over there and um, sort of rekindled all my interest, and that kind of got things going again. In terms of when I would knew I'd spend my life doing it again, who knows what my life future holds? To be honest with you, but I would say uh, probably 2011. I had been covering it longer than that, but you know I could never get someone to give me a full time gig. I mean, who, who, you know, it's not, it's not easy to get a full-time gig in MMA, especially a well-paying one. And I finally had convinced SB Nation after holding and running their, one of their sites for up to five years at that point to, uh, to give me the uh, call up to the big leagues. And they did. And I thought once I did that and I could quit my job and do this other job with like health insurance, 401k, like it was a job at that point. I felt pretty confident that that was my path forward. So I'd say 2011 is when things began to shift for me, but you know been a slow process since then. Next. Uh, this comes from Cecil, who says he's a little upset about our serial uh, serial bracket results. Well, I got he a said, lot. Of, I didn't tell you this. I got a lot of emails telling me I was out of my mind. So let's see what this one says. 
He said, dude, Cinnamon Toast Crunch has to be the winner just for the simple fact that you can eat it slow and enjoy every single chew versus having to slam down Fruity Pebbles before it turns into a glob of mushy S. Yeah, but here's the thing. Fruity Pebbles are so good. Who lets Fruity Pebbles just sit? And by the way, I'll eat gross Fruity Pebbles before I eat gross Cinnamon Toast Crunch because Cinnamon Toast Crunch does last longer. That part is true. But it doesn't... um, when it gets bad, it gets really bad. It gets almost gummy and gross. Whereas with Fruity Pebbles, you can still kind of eat it like oatmeal. So I understand what he's saying. It is more resistant to collapse than other kinds of cereal. But when it does collapse, it's actually a worse version of things. So Cinnamon Toast Crunch is a, a wonderful breakfast cereal. But sir, like most people who try to challenge us on this show, you're wrong. Accept it. Next. Actually, he had a bit of a follow-up there. Uh, he said, are you still going to go on the Joe Rogan podcast? And you know if that's when it's going to be. Well, what Joe said was, when the smoke clears, we'll reconvene. So I'm assuming he's a man of his word. And he will do that. I just don't know when the hell that's going to be. Um, could be July. Could be August. Could be 2021. Trust me. And this is why everyone's like, oh, Luke, why do you hate everything? Why do you want to shut down MMA? You just hate MMA. It's like, do you dumb fucks not realize that I have been badly affected by this too? Like, even outside of MMA, all of these shutdowns have dramatically impacted my, uh, you know, my plans for myself, the things I wanted to do. And uh, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Well, the only thing that matters is what the responsible course of action is here. So, um, you know... Like, people keep thinking, like, I'm benefiting from all of this. I put out a video yesterday that's 36 minutes. It took me two days to make, and it did terrible numbers. Like, it got high upvotes. Look at the, look, look at the comments. People love it. Look at the up, down, uh, upvote, downvote ratio. People love it. Like, it's well-received, but it didn't do well. I don't benefit by any of this. But it doesn't, you know, I don't look at it purely, purely in these utilitarian terms. It's just look what the right answer is. And the right answer is not doing the normal course of business for right now. Next. <laughs> All right. This one comes from Turner who says, uh, hey, Luke, can Dana White just end the pandemic by canceling Habib versus Ferguson? Can he end the pandemic? I think he's saying it's such a curse that <laughs> it's, it's the oh, cause of oh, the pandemic. Oh, 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 yeah. It's funny. You know, I, I've been thinking this whole thing, too. It's like, oh, my God, it's such a curse and blah, blah, blah. And. I have to tell you, I don't believe, I told you, this, I, I was one of these guys who was like, oh, it, it's, you know, I, I, I didn't believe in curses per se, but like the, the inertia of failure just sort of carries itself over, you know, and I don't really believe any of that trash anymore. After seeing what has happened in my town with the Nats and the Caps and of course other teams as well, it's like, dude, if you have a good process in place and you apply consistent effort, eventually the dam just breaks. That's it. That's it. That's why, like, here's the thing about this. Like, am I really convinced by April 18th this is going to happen? No. I mean, they're saying it is, but, um, you know, how are these guys, not just Tony and Khabib, but anyone down the card, going to properly train for this? They're not. Are they going to have trouble making weight? Probably. You might see a bunch of missed weights on this. Like, you're just, you're just not going to get good MMA as a consequence of it. And you may not get MMA at all. And, you know, this idea that we can just go on while everyone else can't. It's like there are some differences, but they're not what you think they are. Uh, at least not what I think they are. Um, 
So, you know, it's funny. Like, oh, we want this to happen because if it doesn't happen this time, it never will. I just don't believe that. Sorry, and you can't convince me otherwise. You cannot convince me that if it doesn't happen now, there's no way to do it. I absolutely in no way, shape, or form believe that at all. And I recognize this is highly unusual circumstances. Don't care. Don't care at all. Don't believe it. Don't believe it for two seconds. So, sorry, I don't. What else we got? Uh, this comes from Kevin, who says, uh, hey, Luke, uh, random question here. What do you think about movie studios releasing their new movies on demand services like Fandango and Voodoo? See that they are going for seem they seem like they are going to be nineteen ninety nine for a forty eight hour rental. I would honestly rather stay home and be able to watch these releases from the comfort of my own home while in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So what's so funny about this is um, we actually had a conversation today with Eric Ducker from The Ringer about it. Um, I'll say this. Apparently, it doesn't work because what happens is not okay. How about this? It doesn't work right now. Because imagine everyone was living their life as normal. Um, What I would say is, um, apparently, if a theater takes a movie, a big movie, and the theater will make money with concessions and whatnot, but there's this press that happens, and everyone lines up to go to the theater, right? And everyone watches it there, and then however long it stays in the theater, 90 days, and then eventually, you know, goes to the uh, home streaming. All of that time spent at the theater, it turns out that that's advertising. Like, that's time spent with the word getting out and people seeing billboards and word of mouth. And maybe you missed it, maybe you didn't for whatever reason. But by the time it goes to streaming, it actually had a bunch of publicity already versus if it just goes to streaming. And you might say, well, wait a second, Luke. Didn't Disney Plus say that they're going to have these series of Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe go straight to Disney Plus? Yes, but those were all, as it stands now, loss leaders. They were designed to just lose money in an effort to build up the subscriber base so that over time you have enough subscribers such that they no longer become loss leaders. But that's the way they're viewed now. Well, studios ain't in the loss leading business unless they're trying to do something else with it. Those movies are designed, yes, to be good movies that you might want to watch, but they're a content strategy. They're a content strategy to build up a subscriber base so that once you cross a certain threshold, well, now you're cooking with gas. And they haven't gotten to that point yet. It's going to take several years, even as much progress as Disney Plus has made, even as impressive as their catalog has been with Simpsons and Star Wars and everything else. So the answer is, I really like watching movies at home. I only want to go to the theater if I have a very compelling reason to do that. Let's say Avengers Infinity War. Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, you know, your big, your, the big ones with the big sound and the big visuals, that kind of, not just comic book movies, but that kind of a big motion picture event. But for everything else, I get just as much enjoyment, if not more, watching everything at home, to be perfectly honest with you. I love doing it. I think it's great. I just don't think right now that's the best way for studios to make money. And I encourage you to listen to our interview with Eric Ducker uh, from The Ringer to get more out of it. Okay, we still have to talk about the next stage of the Ultimate Fight Movie Bracket Challenge. We'll do that when we come back. 
This is Rick Kamla. Here, Tim Legler and myself react to the news that the NBA season has been suspended on give and go. You've got to put the brakes on it. Guys have to get tested, quarantined. Not talking about basketball, but talking about life and the impact of it on the great game that we love. It completely sucks. It's the only thing you can do. We really don't know ultimately when or if we're going to get basketball this season. Give and go weekdays from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern on NBA Radio Sirius 207 XM 86 and on the Sirius XM app. All right, welcome back. Luke Thomas Show. Uh, as always, you can hear, shoot us an email, lukethomasshow at gmail.com for the TLTS midweek mailbag. But we've been exploring the various ways in which the coronavirus is intersecting our lives through whether you're a student, whether you're in the culinary arts, whether you're uh, just a regular person at home, whatever, all the different ways it can inter- inter- intersect. And one of those, of course, for a lot of us spending a lot of time on, at home on Netflix and other places is we can't go to the theaters, but we can watch at home. But Hollywood is being dramatically impacted. I read an article in The Ringer by our next guest, and I thought it was really smart and was way ahead of the curve on some of this. It is a writer from Southern California, and of course you can read this in The Ringer. It is Eric Ducker. Hi, Eric. How are you? Good. How are you doing today, Luke? Doing quite well. How is Southern California these days? Uh, well, where I am, it's very quiet, which is, which is good, and uh, I'd, I'd like to keep it this way for, until we, we ride through this right now. Yeah, same here. I'm I'm guessing, though, given your occupation, you do a lot of work from home already, right? That's correct. Yeah, I'm home usually all the time, but it's it's an adjustment to have my kids and my wife here as well. But we're uh, making it work. I've got an 11 month old. Tell me about it. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let's get to this. Here's the article you wrote: Movies minus the theaters. How Hollywood is grappling with the coronavirus. I'd like to split this conversation into two ways, if I can. They eventually mm-hmm. intersect, but let's start with Hollywood. This is a really interesting scenario because it came uh, very slowly and then all at once. What what is your sense of what the coronavirus has done up to this point, not merely to Hollywood, but studios worldwide? Obviously, we know they've shut them down. Are they worried about their futures? What's What's the economic impact of all of this? I mean, right now, it's got to be huge. I mean, they don't have new product coming out. They don't have new things. The theaters are you know, virtually shut, you know, definitely in North America and China. I mean, they've been shut for a while in China. They're actually just starting to slowly open up in China. Um, you know, they, this is still how the movie industry makes the majority of its money is theatrical releases. And when there's no theaters and they're not put, you know, no theaters open and they're not putting out new films, that money just doesn't come in. So, you know, there's, they're trying to figure out ways they can make a profit. A lot of it is just delaying and hoping things will get better and eventually the payoffs will come. But, you know, right now it's 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 rough. Uh, so I have seen, as you have probably at home, they have released um, The Invisible Man and right. The Hunt straight to streaming. Now, the prices, I think, are a little bit higher than normal, but whatever, 20 bucks, let's say. Um, yeah. Why can't that work, right? Because you're going to this massive potential audience that streaming, you can do it on your phone, laptop, whatever. Why isn't that as lucrative financially as going to the theaters? Well, I mean, I think it's just a matter of math, right? It's, I mean, yeah, I think, as you said, there is, you know, they hunt the Invisible Man, Invisible Man, which were in theaters for about a few weeks. Then they came to streaming. They also did it uh, with Onward, which was the latest Pixar movie. You know, it was in, in theaters for just a few weeks before it came to streaming. And, yeah, they are selling it for about $20. But, you know, when you take your your kids to the movie theater, it's more than $20. It's if, you you know, you're into the 30s and 40s at that point. And so it's 
you know, and I think also pe- people aren't quite used to, you know, we haven't seen the numbers yet, but people aren't used to spending $20 at home for a movie. It's, uh, you know, it's, this is the great experiment right now is seeing whether people will pay that money and if it financially can make sense for them. I mean, it's this interesting situation where the movie industry has been dealing for years with less people going to the theaters and kind of figuring out how to get, still make money that way. But then, you know, but then this is, this is a way to get more people to see their movies, but for less money. And they're going to find out whether that works for them or not. So you write here that according to the Hollywood reporter, this could cause, uh, in the, uh, industry, the film, the global film industry between 7 billion and 17 billion. Now that sounds yeah. really bad, but is there a sense to w- which you could convey how bad that is? Like, is that catastrophically bad or is that recoverable bad? Uh, I mean, I guess my, you know, it's potentially recoverable if the theaters open up and they have all these movies still coming out. I mean, we, this, you know, this kind of, uh, January through March usually is a pretty dead zone for movie releases. This isn't a time when the movie, the theater, the studios are putting out their biggest pictures. So, you know, they start making a lot of their money starting in April into May, June, July. And so, you know, if we kind of lose, if they lose some of their money making in those early months, you know, maybe that's okay. But if they start losing these big pictures and they're pushing them into next year, you know, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, there's a possibility, I guess, that everything can turn around and they'll get everything into theaters and people will be very excited to go to the movies. And, you know, there'll be a run on people going to the movie theaters in the second half of this year if things get better with the situation. But I mean, we'll see. I guess, I mean, 17 billion is not, you know, it's a just, it's a percentage of what they make, but it's, you know, I mean, 17 billion is 17 billion. That's a lot of money. Certainly is. For folks who may not know, what are some projects that have already been pushed back that um, were intended for release either already by now or coming up? Sure. The first one, the first big one that was announced that kind of was the signal that something might be up was uh, No Time to Die, which was the new James Bond movie, which was going to be Daniel Craig's last one. And that kind of postponed. It was going to have a global release in April. They pushed that to November. And then there was kind of this weird period for a couple of days where there's like a little bit of shifts and everyone wasn't sure what to do. And then in a matter of two days, I mean, there was tons of postponements. Um, Paramount basically decided, you know, they had three films, A Quiet Place Part Two, this, a comedy called The Lovebirds, Blue Story that they just took, around, took out their release dates. Um, they pushed Mulan, which is Disney's live action remake of uh, – their cartoon that doesn't have a release date anymore. Marvel's Black Widow, which was you know, Marvel has two big releases this year. This was their first that that doesn't have a release date anymore. Um, and just, you know, so there was kind of a those were the big ones for the first few days. And that's kind of stopped for a while, um, which kind of basically took April off the map and a little bit of May in terms of release dates. And now they just announced that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is getting pushed. They're saying from, I think it has a May release date, and now they're saying it's going to come out in August, and we'll see. Right, and, and as I recall correctly, wasn't the latest in the Fast and the Furious saga, whatever the, yes, yes, Virginia, I, whatever the hell they're on, but they delayed yeah. it a year. Yes, they, they were, you're, you're absolutely right. That was going to come out in May, and they pushed F9, which is was going to come out in May, and now it's going to come out in April of 2021, they say. I mean, that's pretty huge. To, I mean, this is a, you know, 
global franchise. You know, they've they already showed a Super Bowl commercial. They were already, you know, deep into their marketing and publicity on that. And they said, you know, we're just going to hold off an entire year and, and see what happens. I'm going to ask you to speculate here for a moment in the most terribly okay. unfair of ways. But sure. I've been asking all of our guests this, which is we've had people talk about what's going to happen with the NBA, what's going to all the various entities that are being affected. And here is my sense, which is it doesn't matter what the sector is, whether it's sports, whether it is uh, music, whether it is entertainment, right? Because the bands can't tour. That's how a lot of them yeah. make their most of their money. Yeah. There, th th this coronavirus is going to take its pound of flesh from all these industries. Now, what exactly that looks yeah. like and in what ways, I don't know. Do you have a sense of like what studio projects might no longer be greenlit because they're going to have to say, we need to make projects that make us the most amount of money for the longest amount of time? What, who, wh what is the pound of flesh going to be here? Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, for one issue is, <clears throat> excuse me is that you know we have all these films being delayed in terms of when they're released and also there's all these productions that are on hold there are you know there's a pipeline usually of content that keeps coming and right now that pipeline pipeline has been stopped so the question is for one will all those films that were in pre-production or getting ready to be made will that restart or will the studios say okay we're going to move on from that we're going to just say figure out something new you know so that's one potential fallout from this. And uh, yeah, you know, the film industry was going, you know, we've, it's harder, it's harder and harder to get uh, some of the films that probably you and I grew up with into theaters right now. You know, we're not seeing kind of mid-level comedies. We're not seeing, you know, rom-coms or what you used to call thrillers or, you know, adult dramas. Those don't show up in theaters anymore. And if, the studios realize they can't make money off of them and it's not worth their money where yes, we are probably going to see more blockbusters with broad global appeal. You know, I mean, the problem with this film industry and every industry is <clears throat> kind of predicting what people will respond to and what's definitely going to be a hit or not. You know, I don't think, you know, years ago when they made the hangover, they thought it was going to be a huge global success, but it did, but they're going to, your studios will probably be less, even less willing to take risks on theatrical releases. And they're going to go with, you know, known properties, known franchises, known, you know, known names, known directors that they feel, you know, will not uh, put them at any more risk because they're already going to be losing money. So what you're saying is less Parasite, more Transformers? In theater, I mean, we might see a million parasites. You just might not be watching it on your couch. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's just the reality of it. You know, it, I mean, I think generally the the trend in audience viewing is from home. It's you know, it's what can you watch streaming? What can you watch from the comfort of you know? People want that stuff. And they want it. You know, they have people have good systems. They have comfortable seats. They have you know. They have everything set up. They don't, or some people don't care. They just want to watch their stuff on their laptops. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a Christopher or Nolan action, you know, epic. They're fine watching it on their laptops. I mean, I think that's a bummer. I'd rather watch that in theaters. But we have a generation growing up that way that doesn't think of movies that way. Uh, so let's get to the theater side of this if we can here. I really wonder sure. about this. I don't know. I've obviously not gone over the, the um, proposed you know, bail out the $2 trillion bailout and to what extent yeah. AMC or Regal or any of these entities would be available for it. I would assume on some level they would be. What is your concern for, I mean, as you indicated, 
the theater is different than the movie going experience in part because um, you know it's this communal experience that people like. It's most people don't have those kinds of setups at home. Um, there's this sort of ritual about it in the American life, and I think a lot of people. Uh, it, it's also early publicity for when it eventually does go on demand, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of it's, yeah. it's a it's a trickle system. Still, yeah. I, I guess I got to tell you, I'm a, I I think the theaters will recover. But th- more than ever now, I am much more worried about them. What is your sense about what this will do to the business, provided we have, we're sitting in our homes for three to six months? Yeah, I mean, it's it'll. I mean, it'll decimate <laughs> or it has potentially decimating effects, especially the independent ones. You know, I think. Yeah, you know, I haven't. As I, I, I'm in your case, I, I a similar situation where I haven't. Uh, you know, gone through all this relief package. I mean, I think there was an article in the LA Times. I think this morning where they were talking about it and yeah, the theater owners, you know, they want, they want part of this relief for businesses. And the question is, will the small independent ones still be, be able to get it or last that long enough to get it? I mean, they're laying off their staffs. They're, you know, they're coping, you know, a lot of these theaters, they don't own the buildings that they're in. They rent space just like everyone else. You know, they're not being, they have no money coming in to afford the rent, you know? So That'll be very tough for them, especially for the smaller theaters and the independently owned theaters. I mean, the larger chains probably will figure it out and probably are more likely to get bailed out because they employ more people. And that's kind of often how it works. Right. So, mm. you know, <clears throat> we'll we'll see. You know, I think they will, you know, when when the theaters open back up, we're going to have to see if people are excited to go out or if they're scared to go out, you know. You know, it sounds like to me what you're saying is one way or the other, it feels like the coronavirus and the impact it will have on this industry is going to exacerbate the trends that have already been in place, but maybe like put them on steroids. Yeah, I think it's going to, it'll probably see an acceleration of where the, where the industry was going. I mean, it seems from my you know understanding where less people are going to the movie theaters now. And so how the movie th- theaters have responded is to make it more of a luxury experience. You know, I don't know if you've ever gone to one of these theaters with the leather recliners that, that go back. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's nice, but they sell, you sell less tickets that way. There are literally less seats available. So you're selling the experience. So if these larger theaters are able to kind of keep doing that and sell this luxury, you know, experience and people can go to that, that's fine, but not everyone can do that. And you know, that seems where things are going. Yes. And as you said, it's, it's going to definitely accelerate the push to streaming. I mean, right now there is kind of an agreement that the, when a movie comes out, it's supposed to be in theaters for 90 days. That should be the only place you're able to see it for the most part. And then there's kind of this window where you can still buy it on physical media, whether that's Blu-ray or DVD, or you can maybe pay for it to stream uh, video on demand. Um, and then eventually it gets to, you know, it gets to the Netflixes or the Amazon primes and everything. And, you know, right now we're seeing that whole kind of window shrunk down because that's just the necessity of what is the situation. And the question is, will that window kind of re-expand once we get through this? Uh, just a couple more questions for you. Sure. It sounds like to me like Disney in some ways is sort of, I'm not going to say well-positioned for this, because that would mm-hmm. be not right. But these yeah. companies that have the ability to, A, launch a streaming service, and then, B, 
have fresh content incoming. A lot of that's on hold, but in theory, um, yeah. as loss leaders, right? Where, yeah. you know, yes, the movie's not going to make us money, but that's sort of not the point. They're yeah. going to be doing well because I got to tell you, I this whole idea like everyone's going to go back and rediscover old shows that they had missed or I'm going to rewatch The Wire – I don't buy that. If you look at what's trending on Netflix, it's all Tiger King and every mm-hmm. other new release. So to me, it's the companies that can pump out fresh content with these mediums, whether it's a loss leader or not. They're the big winners here. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Disney Plus was, you know, kind of they were ahead of the curve and to, or in having a streaming service ready to go and already in homes. I mean, it's, right now it's only in North America, but I think uh, Disney Plus is – scheduled to it was, well before all this it was scheduled to launch in late march i mean i think right around now and uh you know they're not stopping that plan <laughs> they know people are at home they want people they you know in europe people will start uh being able to subscribe to you know disney plus soon and i think they have content and you know i i talked to someone and you know i said you know what was the possibility you know someone who kind of watches the industry what's the, what's the possibility of you know, Disney Plus just saying, screw it, let's throw Black Widow on there. You know, it's not part of, I mean, from my understanding, it's a prequel. It's not part of the larger Marvel mythos or whatever. It's like, I mean, that to me, that sounds like, you know, if it comes to it and it looks like the theaters are going to be closed for another six, seven months, do they say, let's just do that and kind of build up our subscriber base that way? And, you know, all of these kind of large multinational com- companies, which own, major studios, you know, they all have, um, they all have streaming projects and streaming their own streaming services and the works. So yeah, it's, it's Disney's the first one to it and we'll see if the other ones try to rush it and get their stuff up that way. We'll see. I mean, I, interestingly, uh, one of the films that Paramount put on hold was, as I, I mentioned, this film Lovebirds, which is, a uh, Issa Rae and, uh, you know, it's, uh, they just sold it to Netflix. They said, we're not going to put it out in theaters. We're going to give it to Netflix. And that's a way to make money on it. You know, so, and, you know, as you said, Netflix needs new content. They have plenty of content. Maybe they'll, I think often, you know, we feel like they have too much content. Maybe they'll slow it down a little bit, then trickle it out a little bit more if they don't have these new projects coming in. But yeah, you're right. It's, people are always excited about having these splashy new things to kind of be excited about. So yeah, we'll see that way. Yeah, even in my own sport, though, we cover I mean, we cover a lot of things beyond just sports. But to the extent that we right. focus on that, we're like, oh, let's go back and revisit these old moments. They do okay as forms of content. Mm-hmm. They do not yeah. do anything close to like the, what the new stuff does. Um, right. Last last question for you. I ask everyone this who comes on the show, no matter what their beat is. Do you have any kind okay. of social distancing quarantine recommendation? Which is to say, either a work from home tip or something to watch, something to read, something to pay attention to. Oh, uh, geez. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I would say, I mean, the obvious one is, you know, if you can get outside and take a walk and just clear your mind for a little bit, I, I mean, it's invaluable. I know not everyone has that opportunity, but it's just, you know, you've got to see outside. You've got to breathe in fresh air. You know, if you can do it with your family, you know, take that opportunity to do it. Um, you know, it's crazy what this is doing to our world right now, but, you know, it, Earth is still can be beautiful and, you know, take that in if you can. Certainly so. If you want to read this piece, it's really great. It's from The Ringer. It's called Movies Minus the Theaters, How Hollywood is Grappling with the Coronavirus, the author, Eric Ducker. Eric, stay safe. Really appreciate this great reporting. And uh, thank you for coming on the show.
All right. Thank you so much, Luke. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.